Did Mayor Lightfoot make things better with her decision to grant anniversary interviews just to journalists of color? Oh, the answer is no. Did anybody get hired? Does anybody have benefits? <laughs> that was just one day. <laughs> I'm Charlie Myerson with Rivet360 and ChicagoPublicSquare.com here for our new show, Chicago Media Talks, in which people in Chicago media talk about Chicago media, including what's happening with Chicago's ever-evolving media ecosystem. We're recording this on Clubhouse before turning it into a podcast. If you're listening live, we'll be taking your comments and questions. Just tap the raise your hand icon at any time. Joining us, Pulliam Professor of Journalism at DePaul University and former Sun-Times editor and columnist Deborah Douglas, the author of U.S. Civil Rights Trail, A Traveler's Guide. And here's my co-host and dear colleague, Sheila Solomon. Deborah just wrote for the Gateway Journalism Review about the controversy over Mayor Lightfoot's decision on the occasion of her second anniversary in office to grant one-on-one -on -one interviews just to journalists of color. And it's a decision that brought the mayor plenty of grief nationwide. Deborah, the mayor was doing this for one day. One day. And at least one local reporter is suing her. Why did more journalists support what some called a tactic while applauding her sensitivity to the issue of representation? I think that it illustrates everything she's trying to say about diversity in our local newsrooms, that we just cannot see the forest for the trees. We've been chipping away at this issue for, I don't know, at least since 68, the Kerner Commission, and we haven't made progress. Uh, the the media, local media ranks do not look like the city that we serve. And the journalist response to that just shows how, uh, I don't know, uh, oh, difficult this issue is to, um, to, to address. This was, again, around her anniversary. So was it the right timing? I mean, what, what is the right timing, I guess? I, you know what? A lot of people criticize the mayor. I do not have a problem with what the mayor said. She can criticize any industry that she wants to, and everybody should be pointing to the lack of representation in all of our industries across the board. So people are like, oh, she's not the one to say it, or that's just performative politicking or whatever. And it very well could have been, but she also brought up a valid issue. And so I think that you know, reflexively, everybody moved to a position of criticizing the mayor because that is the sport that we play here in Chicago. But they totally missed the point that she was trying to make. And it's a valid point, especially coming off of 2020 when we were in the throes, you know, in the worst parts of the pandemic. And we're seeing all of these disproportionate impacts that so many Chicagoans know of because we live it or we support family members who are affected by disproportionate impacts. But, you know, the things that so many of us knew, everybody else does now. And you would think that we could have a quality conversation about this. But apparently we're not ready for that yet. The Chicago Headline Club uh, may be the most prominent journal organ journalism organization in Chicago and on whose board Sheila has served, and I have too, but decades before, um, has told journalist Harris Meyer it's not going to take a stand on the mayor's decision, but it does say it plans to pressure media organizations for more inclusive hiring practices. Is is no stand the right call for the headline club, Sheila? If you were still on the board, would you support that? Definitely. I would not be supporting that one, Charlie. No. And, you, you, uh, you, you, you think the headline club should 
take a stand? Absolutely. In fact, when I read NAPJ's statement as well as a few other statements from journalists, we should we should explain for that the National Association of Black Journalists, right? Thank you. Yes. Okay. Yes, and some other journalism organizations. I was really a little put off by the fact that more were not saying exactly what Deborah has said, because the time I don't know that there is a bad time anymore. We have already been having this discussion for more years than I want to count. And so she really did get some recognition, but now it just seems to me that we're pushing it aside. We, meaning journalists, seem to be pushing this aside. Don't We're not going to talk about this anymore. And that's what the headline club seems to be saying with no stand, the right call, uh, yeah, or no, actually. It just really shows how journalism is just so ill-equipped to talk about um, about issues related to parity. And if we can't, if we can't, if we're not grounded in these issues, versed in the language of uh, diversity and inclusion, then we can't we can't act upon it. And I just think that's the fallacy of our business that we we operate on automatic. We get up and we you know cover the news every day and get the news out, but we don't stop long enough to actually ask ourselves why do we do the things that we do. And yet, Deborah, that's exactly what it seems to me has been happening here in Chicago lately, with the proliferation of all the the new journalism newsrooms that are popping up with. Um, journalists younger than I, now putting out podcasts, online publications, uh, setting up all kinds of informational opportunities for people across the communities where many of us live, and and they are not paying any attention to what it seems uh, those of us who were in the business for a while learning to tell the story the story about everyone else but ignoring the story or at least the telling of the story in our own workplaces and so now it's exactly the tables are getting turned exactly yeah a few weeks in what do you both think did did the mayor and her request that she only be interviewed that day by journalists of color make things better? Sheila? Too early to say that. No. I mean, I can't say yay or nay to that. I don't see any change at all, actually. Deborah? Oh, the answer is no. Did anybody get hired? Does anybody have benefits? <laughs> that was just one day. One day. Right. The, the practice is that, that if, if they don't see enough people in those rooms, then it probably needs to be a, a progressive conversation. It can't be something that we can have in one day and then it's over. That's how we get, that's how we get erased or depresent from these conversations. And people act as if that the, the black and brown perspective is not, not a worthy one to behold. You know, I worry about the precedent of politicians of any sort picking who covers them. We saw some of that with the previous president. But, you know, I'd, I'd say the outcome in this case, yes, premature, but so far is good because at least, you know, here we are all talking about the problem of the City Hall press corps. Um, Deborah, shall we say it together? 
okay. Unbearable, unbearable whiteness, whiteness of, of being. being. All right. <laughs> I have a confession to make. Nothing new. Wait a minute, you two. You okay. Can't, you can't just end it like that. Because, well, okay, I, I, you know, I thought I might, but okay. I, I'm not from Chicago. I'm just learning even more about Chicago now that I'm out of the Tribune newsroom. And it seems to me that this is nothing new here in Chicago. This has happened before with some of our politicians. Well, I mean, I, I uh, take Charlie's point about uh, politicians choosing the people who interview them. Uh, but, but that argument married to this issue presupposes that black and brown journalists cannot, cannot operate with a critique or that mm-hmm. they won't be, they won't be hard mm-hmm. <laughs> on the, mm-hmm. you know, ask the hard questions. Um, she could have been opening herself up for more criticism <laughs> than than normal by isolating the people that she did in, on that particular day. Mm-hmm. Well, and she did. She I mean, certainly got plenty of criticism from a number of people, many of them on the right. Yeah. And I'm wondering, too, about the message this sends to those who are entering the Chicago newsrooms. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that in a little bit. Meanwhile, I have a confession to make, and I will make it right after this. Chicago Media Talks is sponsored by Sun Fun U Mediterranean Voyages. When you need a break from all the news and from the windy city itself, join Sun Fun U for a week yachting through the Mediterranean, learning history of the region, and playing in the sea. To make trouble seem a world away, visit Sun Fun U and sign up for a voyage this summer. I have a confession to make. Um, I dramatically underdescribed my co-host Sheila Solomon earlier as uh, just my co-host and a dear colleague, and she is so much more, as she alluded earlier. Her 45 years in journalism includes a nine-year run as senior editor for recruitment and cross media at the Chicago Tribune, where I first met her. She's helped uncounted Chicago journalists get their jobs. In addition to her role at Rivet, she's a vice chairman at Journalism Funding Partners, a startup nonprofit helping local news organizations serve their communities. She's on the boards for Chicago's nonprofit City Bureau Journalism Lab and for Growing Community Media, a new nonprofit serving Chicago's West Side and several Western suburbs through the newspapers and websites that serve those communities. You know, Sheila, you and I talk several times a week, but I have to confess, again, I don't really know much about journalism funding partners, except it hasn't given me any money. <laughs> what, for, for, those of, for those of us who are not in the know, what is it and, and how's it going? Well, it's going very well. And you're right, Charlie, we haven't given you or anyone else in Chicago any money yet. Not yet. But uh, here's, what, here's who we are. So about two years ago, not quite two, five people were asked to come together to see if it was reasonable to reach out to funders who were looking to help support newsrooms. And when I say funders, I'm mostly speaking of individuals and family organizations, not some of the larger organizations that are fundraisers who we um, all know about, McClatchy, McCormick, uh, MacArthur, among others. Because we saw a gap, or gaps, I should say. Those gaps include diversity, which is, you know, some of what we're talking about at the moment, but also 
finding ways to help the community to have more buy-in into our newsrooms because we've got to figure out some ways to be sustainable. We know we can't depend on advertising dollars anymore. We see what's happening to the industry if you're waiting for that to come back in, in a big way. And so uh, we talked about it, these five of us. You look at our website, jfp-local.org, you'll see the those of us who are the co-founders, as well as the six additional people we brought along now to make up our 11-member board. And we are serving as a bridge. So a bridge between funders, a bridge between foundations that have traditionally been giving to lots of community organizations, but not looking at their newsrooms as community organizations. So we're helping to change the mindset that has you know, been, been there for so long about how newsrooms are perceived and how people in newsrooms are perceived. And we are making some progress in that, slowly but surely. Right now, McClatchy and Gannett and some family foundations and uh, community organizations on the West Coast and in, the, in Colorado make up a large part of our funding. Uh, we will soon make an announcement about another national organization that is supporting our efforts. And you will see us become a little more relevant here in Chicago as we make more connections with the people doing the kind of work that we'd like to do. And another way to look at what we're doing is if you're looking to help your newsroom and you have some dollars you want to spend, not because you feel threatened, but because you really care about education or climate change or some other uh, issue that's really big in your community and you don't see the coverage that you think can make a difference, we can help with that. Sheila, you know, political communication professor Joshua Dar wrote for 538 uh, early in June that the laws, this is a quote, the laws of supply and demand aren't working for local news. That through the pandemic, even as demand for news was spiking as measured by visits to local news websites, newspaper revenue was plummeting. In your opinion, how, how bad is the situation? The situation is bad for a lot of legacy newsrooms situation is looking up for a lot of nonprofit and independent newsrooms. Deborah, what are you telling your students about managing a journalism career in today's world? Uh, Sheila raised this question earlier. And, and, and let me ask you, is your counsel different for journalism students of color and for journalism students who aren't of color? Y yes and no. So what I, tell <laughs> my, what I tell my students in general is that, that, Asking questions using journalistic orthodoxy is an invitation to learn a way of thinking um, in the world. And uh, that by virtue of having a college education, which is an elite experience, they will go back to their home communities and they will be leaders and they will have to tell the story of their communities. And journalism provides a way for them to tell that story. 
uh, in the same way that lawyers tell stories in a certain kind of way, doctors tell a story about what's happening with your body in a certain kind of way, journalism is an opportunity to tell a story in our particular kind of way with authenticity, proportionality, voices, transparency, and all of that. So you're saying that that it that it has value whether you're a journalist or not in helping not. in helping the students the citizens of today and tomorrow think about the world. Exactly. And so and I also want to make a point um Sheila brought up City Bureau is that you know when we're talking about local news we're talking about storytelling by journalists but by storytelling by people who have a story to tell by residents. Um you know what's happening on in terms of a nonprofit sites and or alternative sites and community-based sites is that they're blowing up the whole model for who gets to tell the story so that people who have the experience and the, the true expertise to tell stories actually has more of a hand in telling those stories. We're talking to communities now and not so much at communities. For all the important work that City Bureau is doing, I, I, I still think, sadly, that not everybody in Chicago knows about it. So, so Deborah, if I were to ask you um, to describe City Bureau to people who've never heard of it before, how would you do that? Well, I'll defer to Sheila. She's, okay, she's Sheila, why don't you go okay. first? <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. I, I really wanted to hear that answer. Of course, I don't mind answering. And I should say that I'm on the board of City Bureau. I often will just describe us as an organization experimenting and helping newsrooms to learn to experiment with better ways to tell stories. And how does that translate in, you know, in terms of day-to-day activity? What, what for, for news consumers in Chicago, you know, what's in it for them at City Bureau? Well, what I've observed is that the communities that we are mostly in at the moment, so South Side and West Side, we are helping people in the community, non-journalists mostly, to learn what journalism has been doing, what the principles are. Deborah talked about those, but how, where they fit in and taking away the, um, the, the curtain that's been there. Like, you, you can't go to this meeting because you're not a, well, you're not a what? What, what, keeps, what keeps the average citizen from going to a public meeting. They don't know about the public meeting. Right. The way journalists write about it, it makes it sound as if they wouldn't understand what was going on if they could get in there, and they don't even think they would be welcome at the meetings. So part of the training that the average person in the community will get is how to do that, and then how to capture the same information well, in many instances, I should say, the same information that you're going to capture as a journalist. They're not turning it into a news story, but they are delivering information that a trained journalist can look at and then utilize in the telling of the story. Charlie, you you asked me if I... um told my students of color something different than I tell everybody well, else? Yeah, or you could look at it the other way. If you tell your, your white students uh, something different than you tell everybody else. Either way, but I mean, is it, do you have any differing advice for, for people of different ethnic groups and backgrounds? Slightly. I, I 
I always try to encourage my, my students to have liftoff, like get internships early on and to start to build a portfolio and to be entrepreneurial. Don't wait for somebody to give you a position, but go tell stories yourself, like walk up and down the street and see if the bakery, you know, owner can uh, will sit for a profile. Um, you'll solve his problem because he probably needs a story and you get to practice your writing skills and then charge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I guess I I try to, um, sometimes, um, students of color or even international students don't necessarily see themselves in the picture. And so I try to validate them to let them know that they belong in this space. How do you do that? Um, I ask them what they're working on. I ask them, you know, what is their um, idea of wh- where they think they want to end up. I encourage them to think bigger. Um, I even reach out to students when they're out in the industry and I'll just do random calls and I'll be like, you know, you're not always going to be like discovered, you know, to go to do the next thing. So what are you thinking you want to do? And what steps are you taking to get to the next thing? What do you want to learn? Because you know you have to be a serial learner in this business, right? What do you want to learn? I, I tell them to promote themselves in their own minds before, you know, they get discovered for the next promotion. Like if you want to move, then you're going to have to make yourself move. The, your, your, your managers, your editors, your producers are not necessarily going to do that for you. And that you need to see yourself as a leader in what you do. Yes, you report to other people, but you are the leader. You are in charge of your beat is your business, right? that's your business to take care of and so think of yourself um be aspirational just in your everyday work in terms of where it's going to lead you next and don't fold yourself like an envelope um thinking that you're the small person who doesn't matter before we get to closing thoughts from both of you uh i want to raise one thing that could be a whole show of its own, but media writer Robert Feeder noted that the May TV ratings for Chicago show the late news winner was Spanish-language Univision. And the number one rated radio station is WVAZ, uh, an R&B station whose audience is historically urban, as the radio business has referred to a largely black listenership. What does that say? Top TV uh, news, late news winner is Univision. Top radio station, WVAZ. What's that say about Chicago's media landscape? Sheila? Says the landscape not only is changing, but that what I believe I've been observing at least in the last 10 years and how the communities are saying, this is what we want to see. This is what we want to hear. They are turning to those publications that are giving them what they want to see and hear, what makes them feel seen and heard. That's what we're seeing. Right. They're not going to wait for legacy media to notice them, um, you know, forever. Uh, because what we've just experienced, what, we're, what we continue to experience with the pandemic, with the whole, uh, you know, phenomena of essential workers and, you know, everything they sacrifice for us, people need need and want to feel validated and they're going to media that allows them to do that. I actually created a word uh, to explain this phenomenon, having worked in newsrooms for 30 years, 
And the word I created was, it's called depresencing. And it is oh. a tendency of white patriarchy to ignore the humanity. Um, in the case that I use it is of black women, but it's just a, it's a way to ignore the humanity of underrepresented uh, voices uh, in a narrative as if they're, that the idea of them could never even be conceived. This is Clubhouse, which is an opportunity, unlike many podcasts and other digital platforms, gives the audience a chance to, to speak up and ask questions. Uh, I will ask, any members of our audience have anything you'd like to ask or say or take issue with? Raise your hand. Jesse Batend, who is a member of the Rivet team. Jesse, welcome. Deborah, I suppose this is for everybody, but I'd love to get your perspective. Um, I, I think you all have sort of alluded to it. I think it's fair to say that the mayor's uh, decision to restrict who she took interviews from kind of became a bit of a sideshow. Um, I Googled myself while you were talking and, you know, my Google algorithm may or may not be representative of everyone, but the entire first page was commentaries and critiques on the mayor's choice, whether it was appropriate, whether it wasn't. I guess I'm just curious if you feel like the media responded uh, appropriately, um, if you have any insight into maybe some of the conversations that happened behind closed doors that the public didn't get to see, or what could Chicago media have done differently? Because um, I'm not sure whether the issues that readers and listeners care about most ended up kind of being where the conversation focused, if that makes any sense. They could have just they could have just said, you're right. <laughs> right. Like you may not be the best messenger for this message for us right now, but you are exactly right. And this is what we know about it. You know, they can share their data and their their plans for what they're doing about it. I think a lot of reporters who are out on the streets were left holding the bag in, uh, in terms of how to respond to this when it's really above them. It's really the gatekeepers, the producers, the editors who are making decisions. And I think in that in this case, they just receded into the woodwork and just left it out there. You also got a sense of how maybe some of these organizations felt about this by the pieces that they the think pieces they greenlit. So like Jay Levine's piece about the fact that he's covered all these black people over the years and they never said anything about the way he covered covered them. And, and then basically he's a good guy, which he is, you know, and then that's just, and, and that the mayor is racist for even pointing it out. I mean, that's just like a, a shallow analysis of what we're experiencing in this, in this society now to bring up race or ethnicity is not to be racist. <laughs> She's identifying a problem that we need to address. And so um, I, I, I thought Jay's piece actually, you know, I teach op-ed writing and I felt like it was a rant in that it did not make an argument and it did not have data. It just had anecdotes. It said, I'm a nice guy. And then that was it. I wouldn't have even allowed that in the, in the Chicago Tribune. It doesn't rise to the, rise to the, the standard of what a solid op-ed is. And so to me, that that's another sort of like example of, you know, the, the differences and, um, and, you know, who's considered qualified, who get who has a voice and who doesn't. Patricia Andrews Keenan has raised her hand. Patricia? Two things come to mind. If the situation had been the opposite and only a white <laughs> journalists had been asked to participate, 
what would have happened if the black journalism community had had an uproar about that? How would that have played out? What white journalists are not marginalized Absolutely. in Chicago? De- no, no, Deborah, Deborah, been- that's my point. <laughs> that's my point. Okay. And then the second thing is when I look at the tribe, a new journalism organization that's doing some great things. Why wouldn't people embrace them and try to support them? So you always look at a situation from the opposite side. And black journalists have not risen up to say, hey, you didn't include us. But now all of a sudden, because here's a time when white journalists were not included, they're raising up to say that. So just something that they should consider on the opposite side as well. And then how do we bring up a group like the tribe and support them and what they're trying to do rather than try to pull them down and say, why you and not us? That's that, Those were my points. Patricia, I'm so glad you brought up the tribe because the tribe does speak out a lot. Now, perhaps I know this better than some of my colleagues because I'm having to be a part of conversations on almost a daily basis about what's happening in our media ecosystem in Chicago, much less outside of Chicago. The tribe, much like City Bureau these days, is being held up as a model. And as you probably know, it did have quite an interesting column reminding people just of what you're seeing in regard to how the tribe, the Chicago Defender, the Chicago Crusader, uh, other publications, led by mostly people of color have been left out often in the press room, often, or press conferences, I meant to say. And that seems not to get the attention of most other people, except under these conditions. Absolutely. And that was my point. So thank Mm -hmm. you for letting me make that. Okay. Closing thoughts. Sheila? Closing thoughts. We have a lot more to talk about. There, there are so, so many things that just the conversations we're having are making me think of. And one thing I guess I would want to add is as we think about the communities that we live in and think about the conversation that we're having right now, you probably can have an answer for why we are not hearing some of what we're bringing up, some of what we're asking about. Just think about what's happening in some of our newsrooms now. Impending layoffs, uh, chaos in some instances in regard to how news is not being covered, communities aren't being covered, and where's the money coming from so that we can stay in business. And that's why this is a podcast series. <laughs> yes. Uh, Deborah, closing thoughts. Well, I'm excited uh, by the fact that the philanthropic community has seen fit to basically support the American project <laughs> uh, by investing in community-based media and ethnic media. I'm not quite sure what business model we will land on, but it's really nice to not be subject to the inertia that we were, you know, a decade ago. And I'm just seeing some really exciting voices and projects and, and really important journalism be generated at the, uh, at the, the, the grassroots, you know, hyper. And that is a perfect segue 
to my opportunity to say that as we speak, and maybe as you listen, depending on when you're listening, a campaign to boost Chicago's independent media is entering its final days right now. You can help 43 small but diverse organizations, including Rivet and Chicago Public Square and many others, with just a few clicks. You can go to savechicagomedia.org, kick in a few bucks, as little as one, to keep the city's media ecosystem vibrant. So again, that's savechicagomedia.org. Catch The Tribe, since we've been talking about The Tribe, at thetribe.com. And Tribe has two I's, T-R-I-I-B-E.com. And City Bureau at citybureau.org. Our guest on this inaugural edition of Chicago Media Talks, recorded live on Clubhouse June 7th, 2021, has been Deborah Douglas, author of U.S. Civil Rights Trail, A Traveler's Guide. You can reach Deborah by email at deb at debofficially.com. I love that URL. You can find Sheila Solomon at Sheila at Rivet360.com. And I'm Charlie Myerson. Join me weekdays at 10 for the ChicagoPublicSquare.com daily email news roundup. And be here again Mondays at 2 for more Chicago Media Talks. For Sheila Solomon, producers Bob Kessler and Jennifer O'Neill, and everyone at Rivet360, thank you for listening. Chicago Media Talks is sponsored by Sun Fun You Mediterranean Voyages. When you need a break from all the news and from the windy city itself, join Sun Fun You for a week yachting through the Mediterranean, learning history of the region, and playing in the sea. To make trouble seem a world away, visit Sun Fun You and sign up for a voyage this summer. Rivet360 makes podcasting easy. Want help with your podcast? Visit rivet360.com.